Today's show is sponsored by CastCartel.com, your premium spirits marketplace. They are like the Amazon of the spirits industry. What you can do is go to CastCartel.com. They will match you up with retailers that want to sell you liquor over the internet. Yes, some of the allocated stuff is going to cost more. It's because it's convenient. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to go to a raffle. You don't have to camp out overnight. You can go to CastCartel.com and get it shipped directly to your door. The daily drinkers are going to be more on par with what you would find in the store. So check them out for yourselves. Go to cascartel.com. Follow them at cascartel on Instagram. They're always doing awesome giveaways for their followers. Today's show is also sponsored by distilleryproducts.com, your source to get wholesale glassware, custom laser etched glass. If you are a store, if you are a distillery, if you are a bourbon group, reach out to me. I will get you in touch with Carson and Janie and Vicky and all the good folks over at distilleryproducts.com. If you go to any distillery, chances are they are using distilleryproducts.com for their glassware and they have options awesome wholesale prices. We use them for our dad's drinking bourbon glasses. I know a bunch of other people that use them too. You can get Glens, We Glens, the Kenzie Dram, the Tipsy Dram, a regular rocks glass, the Tua, the Neat Glass. They're the only place in North America where you can get a custom laser etched neat glass. Check them out, distilleryproducts.com. Reach out to me. I would love to get you in touch with them. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at Action 24-7. You want action? Get in on the action with Action 24-7, Tennessee's only sports book by Tennesseans for Tennesseans. And there's a lot going on now that football's over. Europa League is today, the 18th. Saturday, there is basketball. Sunday, there is soccer. And in order to get in on the action, we want to help along with Action 24-7. If you use code DADS100, they will match up to $100 of your first deposit. That's if you go to Action 24-7. They also have an awesome app. They are a locally owned and operated company out of Tennessee. If you are outside of Tennessee, sorry, you cannot use them as a sports book, but they are giving away thousands of dollars every week and they're free to play games. They're even giving things away like poor man's pappy. So check them out. Follow them at TN Action 24-7. Follow them at Action247.com and get the app. Play for yourself. Use code DADS100. What's up, Edwards? You got anything? Uh, I'm fresh out today, buddy. Sorry, I've been uh, I've been busy. Didn't have a time to jot down any notes or have too much abstract thoughts. That's a long way of just saying no. I didn't want to seem lame about it. You know, I'd at least throw some kind of defense answer out there. Eh, you're still lame. Let's drink. Everyone, my name is John Edwards, and with me, as always, is Zeke Baker. And together, we make the Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us a part of your day. It is a very special day here on Dad's Drinking Bourbon. PJ's back. We couldn't get rid of him. He's a stage five clinger. This is like his 18th appearance on the Dad's Drinking Bourbon podcast. PJ, welcome back. Glad to be here again. And you brought somebody with you. That's your boss. So I'm glad you brought him along with you. He is the owner of, well, one of the owners of BR Distilling in Memphis, Blue Note Bourbon, Riverset Rye. You have the Blue Note Nine Year. You have the Blue Note Juke Joint. You have a lot of stuff going on down there. Macaulay Williams, welcome to the Dad Shrinking Bourbon Podcast. Thanks for finally having me on, guys. (laughs) We've been talking about this for years. I'm sorry. A lot of build up. Remember you came in uh, blazing, getting a little finally jab in there. I mean, I was really hoping to go down to Memphis to do it. I couldn't get it around Zeke's schedule. And then a year into social distancing, we were like, all right, you want to come on now? First off, we're a team here at BR Distilling, so no one's anyone's boss. So PJ is our awesome regional sales manager for Middle Tennessee, East Tennessee, and Alabama. I still like calling you his boss. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm just going to point out, I actually went down to the distillery recently and you were invited and you couldn't make it that time i had to work don't pin it all on me buds i mean the one time out of a hundred that i couldn't make it down to memphis i'm sorry there's always an open invitation guys come on down we'll get some barbecue and drink some good bourbon yeah last time i was down there i got lost on beale street or lost after beale street so 
y'all got to put a leash on me whenever I go down there. Like, did anybody lose you though? Because I don't feel like that'd be too hard. Like, has anybody seen that big dumb animal? Oh, there his head is. I see him meandering around over there. Oh no, everybody lost me. I went to Silkies and it was all over. It happens. So Macaulay, it is great to have you here. You are part of a, an amazing team. That includes PJ over at Blue Note BR Distilling. Tell us a little bit about your journey. People might have heard you on Bourbon Pursuit. That was a great interview you did with them. We all know that Pursuit has been getting some great stuff with their United and their uh, episode, their Pursuit series down there with you. So you, you've been working with them for a long time. That was a great show. Kind of want to know about you. That was a very business-focused show. Tell the folks about you, what got you into whiskey, what got you a part of this team, getting up barrels from other places. So born and raised in Memphis, went to UVA for undergrad and went to Ole Miss for law school. I practiced mergers and acquisitions at a large law firm, Baker Donaldson, uh, at the time was the largest law firm in the Southeast. Didn't love it, kind of hated it, always wanted to do something entrepreneurial. Was kind of always looking for my out, honestly. It was a great business background, but really wanted to find something that I enjoyed more and something where I didn't really feel like I was working for someone else. You know, working for myself, but also helping to like build something as a team, not just like doing assignments for the partners or trying to become partner or just working for these huge corporate clients of ours. A buddy of mine started Pyramid Vodka. So the Folk Brothers, who I grew up with, started Pyramid Vodka in Memphis. They were having a little bit of trouble with some shareholder disputes and they were effectively going out of business because the company was not going, it was not on a good trajectory. Sales were down. They'd signed some large contracts and were really on the outs and they needed some help with some legal advice. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to help save the company as it existed. But in working with them, I really got to understand some of the behind the scene nuances to the craft spirits industry and really started to recognize some of the things that they messed up on. We're not really, not really they per se, but just the company's mistakes and realizing how we could maybe do, do a better job if we could somehow figure it out how to recapitalize the business. Fast forward about 12 months, some of my clients and I bought the distillery out of liquidation. Um, at the time, I was just planning on coming on as the attorney and an investor and thought it'd be really fun. I didn't think that the distillery, you know, the craft distill business was going to be my, my out from the corporate law life. But I became so impassioned with the idea that um, I quickly said, hey, to my partners, I'd like to quit my job and run this and really make a go. And, and and take what was originally supposed to be a money-making kind of fun hobby business. And really let's, let's try to scale this into as big as we possibly can have fun while we're doing it, but let's really give it our all. Was the first mistake making vodka? The first mistake was indeed making vodka. The second mistake was trying to distill vodka. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I mean, I figured that was the case, but now that I know we're all on the same page. That's right. So we ran a quick analysis early on. It was costing them around $8.25 to $9.20 per bottle to distill a grain to glass vodka on a craft size still. We realized that all the big vodka brands source bulk ethanol from ethanol plants, the same plants that produce ethanol for to be blended with gasoline, the same plants that produce ethanol that go into plastics, ballistics. You know, these are true on industrial size plants and you can buy bulk ethanol from them, food grade ethanol, uh, which is effectively 190 proof bulk distillate, cut it with water, bottle it as your own vodka for 25 cents a bottle. And we realized that's what everybody else was doing. No wonder their margins were so great. Um, And that if you take that bulk ethanol and run it through your own still one time, legally you can claim you distilled it. So that concept stuck in my head of just saying, wow, all of these big brands that say that they distilled their vodka are not actually converting grain into distillate. They're buying bulk ethanol from ethanol plants food grade ethanol and distilling it one, maybe twice. I don't know how many times they run it through their still, but then they're getting the cost of goods down you know, into just a mere fraction of what it would actually cost to try to convert grain to glass. That concept stuck with me uh, when starting our whiskey business. So the original thought is one, we're in Tennessee. 
Um, so whiskey seems to make sense. If we're going to recapitalize this business, buy this business and come up with our own business plan and own new journey separate from the vodka distillery, we wanted to do something that made uh, sense for our location. We're in Tennessee, so whiskey made sense. Obviously, there's like a huge resurgence or renaissance of American whiskeys and bourbons. From a business perspective, the opportunity or demand is there for the product. So that made sense. And then and then we as a group just found whiskey and, and bourbons and rye inherently way more interesting than vodka due to the subtle nuances in flavor. Memphis made a whole lot of sense just due to its climate. We have a little extra heat and humidity. Uh, we have great logistics, you know, to bring in necessary supplies and to ship out finished goods, et cetera. So just kind of checked all the boxes and we all happened to really like whiskey. So we said, let's buy this distillery, convert the business plan over to becoming a whiskey business um, and try to scale it. But that principle of the fact that, you know, most vodka is not actually distilled grain to glass by the supplier or brand owner. So with me, so when I bought it, the first thing I did was buy every single book I could get my hands on relating to uh, distilled spirits and specifically the whiskey industry. And there was kind of this repeated story over and over and over again of every successful brand starting by first uh, distilling on contract at a larger distillery. If you're making whiskey, that means you don't necessarily just build the largest distillery you can and hope to somehow pay off the debts of that investment by the future uh, distillation runs that are going to age up and be sold many years from now. It's you actually work on contract with somebody else who already has the plant, lay down inventory with them until one day you can afford to build your own distillery to get your cost of goods down, right? It's just a very pragmatic business approach. Uh, and then I really started to realize in reading books on scotch that the art of the art of whiskey really is the blend. And it's really the maturation process. It's it's the, the art that you can't, we humans can't control. It's mother nature, aging the whiskey. And then being able to curate and select the right barrels that go together is the true art. And I think, you know, your listener base probably sees that particularly well with, you know, barrel bourbon, uh, barrel craft spirits, you know, these guys blend, but they, they produce some really awesome, unique products. And there's countless other examples of that. That's just kind of one I felt like that would hit home. And that's really what we believe is that the art is in the maturation and the selecting and curating of the right barrels for, for the blend. And we one day hope to distill our own product grain to glass, but we have to grow a whole lot more before that makes sense from a business perspective interesting perspectives and at least kind of on the barrel note it has been impressive to say the least some of the stuff they've come up with thrown together and and managed to find sweet spots for things that i think most of us wouldn't even think to use or or even source much less see as being a a viable uh, business uh, angle yeah it's 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 been really awesome to see their growth joe beatrice their uh kind of top dog is is a friend and business associate of ours, a colleague, and he's done a really remarkable job of scaling that that brand to what it is with with really simple branding, you know, really simple packaging that is juice forward, uh, and it's designed for whiskey aficionados and whiskey collectors. And last I heard, he was selling over forty thousand cases of that stuff, and it's, it's probably it's probably well north of that now, and it's remarkable. And you know, I think I think the future of the industry is involving expanding the flavor wheel or the or what you know if you thought bourbon if you looked at any of the flavor graphs or flavor wheels when you're doing tasting if you thought that's what the limits were it's all about expanding it and coming up with more nuanced categories and that's really done through the curating of barrels blending and the maturation cycle there's only so many different flavors you can get from different yeast strains and then also also uh, when we talk about maturation a lot of it has to do with the the immense amount of science and r&d going into cooperage we've all tasted toasted oak and what that can do uh, and the influences that toasted oak or different char levels have on bourbon and the different oak sources whether it be american oak or french oak or something more exotic and barrel finishing and i really feel that is the future is expanding the flavor wheel and expanding the nuanced tasting notes that you didn't even know were possible from American whiskey through uh, maturation. And that involves the science around cooperage as well as through blending. So you're going to say that the flavor wheel doesn't always land on weeded whiskey out of Frankfort, Kentucky? As good as that stuff is, I, I, I can't say that's the future of the industry. <laughs> 
I love that thing they did. I'm sure you probably did at some point too, you know, the, the crafter, uh, perfect bourbon. Mm-hmm. How did everybody end up with the same thing? Cause we can all sit in the same room and taste 10 different bottles and we're not going to pick the same three as our top favorites. Right. I also think it's interesting that um, there's a lot of kind of cliches or sayings that are passed around the industry that I think are passed on just because it's like parakeeted from one person to another. One of them to me that I find very interesting is that weeded bourbon is, quote, sweet. I don't find that to be the case really at all. Yeah, I don't find Maker's Mark to be very sweet. I think Maker's Mark's a solid bourbon, but I don't think sweet's one of the words that comes to describe it in my head, nor do I think that the Wellers or the Pappy, I I come up with a lot of different tasting notes that sweet necessarily is not the right note. It's just really interesting that like sweet and smooth is what they've been associated with. And I don't even think that's a correct sensory analysis of the product. Well, if you go on Facebook and say something is smooth, there's going to be 20,000 people (laughs) telling you that smooth is not a, a tasting note. Sure. At the same time, I, I think that just goes back to the testaments of early branding and early marketing, even outside of whiskey. If you say something over and over enough and long enough, eventually it just kind of sets in and then people, oh, yeah, yeah, sweet, great. Like, you know what I think is an even more unfortunate kind of cliche in the industry is the negative connotation that's placed on Tennessee bourbons. So I think we've heard a lot of the similar sort of discussions around Tennessee bourbons uh, and a negative connotation about how products out of Tennessee are inferior and are really poo-pooed, honestly, especially I find it very interesting in really far off markets. You know, we sell in New York City and it's really interesting how far and widespread that stigma, which I think is very unfair, has proliferated in the industry. And I think if you try any of our products and a lot of our other you know, colleagues in the Tennessee craft distilled industry, that there's a lot of amazing products coming out of Tennessee, whether it be through uh, folks own new distillate or through uh, sourcing and blending the nuances of flavors that get overlooked. So before we get into that, I just want to say, Zeke, if you could just say over and over that I'm skinny and good looking, like I'm hoping that's going to catch on. But Macaulay, going back to what you said, I think that there is, you know, some of the problem and and I do a lot of stuff with the Tennessee Whiskey Trail, the Tennessee Distillers Guild. I love the folks in Tennessee. I think there's like these tiers and a lot of the problem of what people outside of Tennessee have with Tennessee whiskey, Tennessee bourbon is it's an education thing. And I think a lot of people see that a lot of the Tennessee bourbon is sourced from the same place and they think that everything from that place is going to taste a certain way let's be honest at the top you have jack and george in the middle you have this kind of mid-tier some ndps some producers some mixture of both and you have kind of that mid-tier of your chattanoogas your old dominics your uh, nelson's greenbriars you have a lot of little distilleries the thing about tennessee that's so different from any other state is you have the moonshiners everybody's living together in peace and harmony and you know you're like i wish i read in a book that i could just make moonshine and make a shit ton of money and keep a distillery open that way and that's what they're doing out in east tennessee and then they're opening places in downtown nashville and the tourism part for tennessee whiskey is huge and that's allowing some of those distilleries to go make a bottled and bond bourbon or make you know a rye and you wouldn't expect it because it's out of one of the east tennessee distilleries or there's like gin that is super super good you look at h clark you look at what keener's doing at old forge there's unique gins you have stanton webster at postmodern doing tons of crazy stuff so i know i went on a rant but it's a lot of an education thing and they just think oh yeah well these five distilleries all use the same source of whiskey so we just assume it all has that profile going back to what you said it's the blending so if you go ahead and you take a certain source whiskey from someplace you just leave it alone in the barrel and then you put it in the bottle yeah it's all gonna taste the same but if you put your own spin on it and you put your own flavor on it that's your secret sauce that is what makes people want to go buy from an ndp you guys have been around for a few years this isn't Like, hey, you guys just popped up this year. How did you get at the forefront of that? Because I feel like it's only been the past couple of years that people are really getting into the blending side of that. Yeah, so that's interesting. So, you know, I I just saw that that was how the industry was developed back in the day, especially post-prohibition. So, you know, during prohibition, there was only a handful of distilleries that were issued permits to distill medicinal whiskey. So when prohibitions repealed, 
all of the distillers had to, you know, they bought the whiskey warehouse receipts or the title to those barrels that are held in these federal bondage warehouses. They were able to get their hands on them after the repeal of prohibition. And so that's really how the industry was reborn was, was from that. And so, you know, I thought there was something there. I saw what's going on or has been going on for a hundred years in Scotland where the master blender is really heralded as the key figure or the celebrity at the distillery and with the brand. You look at cognac, it's the same. You know, Hennessy is an enormous brand in France, you know, right? It's particularly big in, in the States, but they don't really distill any of that. There's a ton of micro distilleries all across France that distill all of the cognac and the big brands buy from all of them, bring it to their centralized blending warehouse and blend it. And so really it was looking back in the history books and looking over the pond and seeing, you know, really the more developed industries and realizing that this is the future of our industry is being able to come up with more nuanced flavor. Of course, we want to get to the point of where we're distilling and laying down our own juice on site. We do contract production with other distilleries, which is where they make our proprietary mash bills for us because they have the economies of scale on production. We one day want to get there and think we soon can in Memphis. But right now we're really focused on building our brand, coming out with core SKUs that involve sourcing aged barrels, blending those together. Uh, but in, in, in the interim, we're also really working on some LTOs or some limited time offerings or some peripheral or, or haloing concepts that are even more nuanced, getting a little you know, more out there with, with uh, oak experimentation, more exotic blends. And I find it to be really fun. I find it to be really interesting. And, and that's just the part of the industry that's always fascinated me. It's not the molecular science or the chemistry. I don't like baking. I like cooking. I like making red sauces. I like cooking Cajun food. I like cooking Italian food. That's really more about a little of this, a little of that, not recipe driven formulaic cooking, which is really more what fermentation and distillation is. I think it's, you know, obviously a beautiful science in its own way. It's just not what my particular uh, kind of liberal arts background is into. So I, I, I just love the, the blend and it's really fun to get in stuff and, and try to come up uh, with your own new blend and create a product. So I have two questions based off that. And I know Zeke wants to jump in here too. Sure. First one, do you try to keep the batches similar? Is there a consistent profile that you're trying to do or each batch of whiskey you're putting out is just the best batch of whiskey you could do at the time? And once you guys do start distilling, do you think you might still use some of the contract distillate? Because like you said, you know, Italian cooking, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, it might be your own distillate with some stuff that you source down the road that's just as good. Yeah. So just to be clear, a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about with our experiment, none of that stuff's even hit the market yet. So we are trying to build a brand, Blue Note Bourbon and River Set Rye. In order to build a brand, we have to have quality control standards and we have to have consistency. So our current products in the market are our Blue Note Premium Small Batch, which is our nine-year-old age-stated Tennessee bourbon. That's a blend of two different mash bills. We have our Blue Note Juke Joint, which is more of a value-driven skew. It's a three-year-old Kentucky bourbon. And then we have our River Set Rye, which is a four- to five-year-old Tennessee rye whiskey. Uh, we do some single barrels. We do single barrels of the rye, and then we do single barrels of the nine- and ten-year-old inventory that goes into that premium small batch. And so all of that is really more of our kind of standard playbook, if you will. That's what we're building as our core nucleus of our uh, brand portfolio. So that's not really the most creative or out there side of our playbook, if you will. That's trying to build repeatable, consistent flavor to deliver predictability to the market. So with those products, we do try to not vary batch to batch. And really only the premium small batch can even be said uh, to be technically blending. So technically, if you're, if you're taking the same mash bill from the same source and curating or selecting which barrels go in a batch, it's called mingling. Typically the word blend, you know, there's some negative connotations, but if you're blending straight bourbons or straight whiskeys, that'd be blending two mash bills together. Uh, if you blend a straight bourbon from two different states, it has to be a blend of straight bourbon whiskeys, or it can be legally labeled straight bourbon whiskeys, a blend. And there's like a couple of different funny little label requirements. But because in our premium small batch, both mash bills are distilled here in Tennessee, we can call that a straight bourbon whiskey. So long-winded way of saying right now we're focused on building like our core skews, core iterations, core expressions. Expect less variance in those uh, and more um, consistency, 
but we are coming out with this year in 2021, some more nuanced releases that will be totally more one-offs where we're experimenting with exotic cast finishing, toasted oak finishing and all of that. And so I think we can kind of build around that core nucleus, some really fun one-off expressions. In that is also our 17-year-old barrel series. Obviously there's very limited inventory of that product. So it's really special. So unfortunately we're not going to be able to repeat that forever. So when it's gone, it's gone. Hey, Zeke, can you tell by that answer that he's a lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, those words were mostly all like one to three syllables. I feel like lawyers get <laughs> those, you know, four or five and six. They, 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 they rattle stuff off and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. All I was going to say uh, across the course of this conversation, uh, let's see. If you're worried about tears, buddy, you keep telling people you're skinny and good looking. You'll see a lot of them when they see you. <laughs> um <laughs> Another thought before we jump into some of these LTOs, because I'm actually pretty excited about that. As you're building the brand and the portfolio and the name, the recognition, is it more important to try and, and maintain a consistent profile? Or as long as you're somewhat transparent about it to a degree or just make some inclination of, hey, this is still us. We still blended it. We still approved it and, and think highly of it. But they are going to be a little different. There's going to be this and that. But at the end of the day, it's good whiskey. I want to hear your perspective on that, looking at it from, you know, this is you know my business and my baby, whereas me, I, I really thought about it and I was kind of like, you know, as long as it's good, I, I don't give a shit. Give me something different from time to time. I, I'm, I'm more in, intrigued by, by experiencing new sensations there. So I think there's different approaches for different companies. And within our different product offerings, we have slightly different approaches. So with our premium small batch, you know, it is a small batch. So that effectively says customer beware. There could be slight nuances between each batch, and there certainly are. Unfortunately, we stopped numbering our batches because a lot of our distributing partners, that confused them. And they were like trying to release it as like a new product each time into the market. And it really, you know, screwed with just consistent depletions and shipments into the market, you know, that one killed me because I loved and a lot of our consumers loved the numbered batches. You know, maybe we'll look at going back to that at some point, but I got so fed up with the sample allowances from our distributors and treating it as if it was like a new product each time uh, to try to like resell the market on, hey, this is batch 11. It's like, well, no, I mean, it's the same fundamental product. There's just slight differences from batch 10. Numbers are hard. Numbers are hard. And just like, Keeping a brand consistency is difficult with the sales team and sales forces across 14 states like we're in now. So, yeah, I'm totally right there with you, Zeke, that that the uh, the nuances batch to batch. You will find that in any smaller brand just in general. All of our products are small batch unless there are single barrels. So like the biggest batches we do are 30 barrels. And we do that in our Jeep joint because that's our highest volume uh, driven skew just to be able to kind of keep up with demand we do that at 30 barrels the premium small batch we we cap out at 20 barrels so with that few of barrels like kind of in the mix there's definitely going to be nuances between every batch we never chill filter any of our products that's kind of one of our um i don't know core values or or mottos to the consumer or kind of pillars that we want to stand on we definitely believe that leaving the fatty oils from the maturation process in the whiskey is fundamental to the overall mouthfeel, taste, and profile of the whiskey and something we want to do. It's a it's an interesting battle of trying to do things that are kind of more artistic driven, which against things that are more kind of economic driven. And unfortunately, the majority of this, the listener base here are probably whiskey collectors or whiskey aficionados or people that are really into learning and reading about you know, whiskey products, but unfortunately, most of the uh, consuming public, you know, or not, they just want to buy a, a bottle of whiskey and they might enjoy it that one time, but they're not really interested in learning a whole lot more about it. So there's this balance of appealing to the masses while also putting out a good enough product that we're proud of that will also appeal, you know, to whiskey collectors and aficionados as well, because that's ultimately what we like to think of ourselves as trying to strive to be. And that's really the audience we want to appeal to. But there's a whole lot of other people out there that we got to sell to and they just want consistency. I mean, we tell people constantly we're the 1% and the 1% does not 
keep brands alive. I mean, it's great that we're talking about this. It's great that we have podcasts. Most of the people are going to come in and say, oh, look, that label's cool. It's blue and it has a guitar on it. I'm going to buy it. And that's what keeps your brand alive. And then they have it once and get it again. And it becomes their daily or it becomes their weekly, whatever it is. Which brings me to another question. What's the juke joint going to cost opposed to the premium small batch and the rye? We try to be very reasonable on price. So one of the fundamental things that we believe in is value. And value to me is the ratio. I say this all the time. It is quality relative to price. I feel like in this current market, the prices of American whiskeys are getting freaking ridiculous. And so we, again, try to be very fair and reasonable on pricing. Our nine-year age stated premium small batch retails in most markets for between $49.99 and $52.99. We can't control the exact retail price, but that's our suggested retail price based on pricing to our distributors. Our Kentucky bourbon, our juke joint, retails for $29.99. And then our four to five-year-old non-filtered rye whiskey, Riverset Rye, retails for $29.99. And then the cast drink single barrels at $39.99. And then our nine and 10-year-old cast drink single barrels for $59.99. So I feel that we're trying to keep our prices in line with what the big liquor conglomerates would be selling their huge volumes of inventory for, because we recognize that there's a whole lot of products out there on the shelf. And we want anybody that buys our products to know that they got a really good value. We don't want our products to be the cheapest on the shelf by any means, but we want it to be fair. And we're trying to build a long-term brand here. We want repeat buyers. We want people to recognize that value in every bottle and in every sip. And it just frustrates me to no end what's going on in the industry right now. Just people trying to get the most they possibly can for each bottle, stretching margin in the short term in what I believe will be the, to their long-term detriment. Yeah, we've said that. I mean, time and time again, like somebody buys your product once and if the quality doesn't meet what's expected, much less what you're paying on top of it, you just shot yourself in the foot. I mean, there's been countless things I'm sure we've all bought one of, and now they could have a completely different source product, could be the best thing known to man, but now, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Like I'm not picking that up again. It's just the reality of the situation that I can't understand how it seems to be a intelligent business move from what little I see from you know our side of the coin. And look, value and fair pricing can be really big numbers if what's in the bottle justifies it. It's just unfortunately, we have a lot of our colleagues and friends in the industry that are doing that. They're delivering really high quality products for a high price and they deserve it. But then there's a lot of other people that are slipping in some stuff that just doesn't deserve the price tag. And like Zeke says, you feel burnt when you get it. And I just never want one of our products to be, I never want someone to try our product and feel burned. You know, we can't control that they're going to like the product or not, but I never want someone to open it and say, man, what a ripoff. That that to me is the ultimate insult as a brand owner and just a business practice we have no desire to ever get involved with. At the same time, I don't want you to take this as an insult, but a lot of times NDPs will come in, they'll buy some stuff that was out there. And then what makes the NDP be 5X what the original distiller put it out at? Yes, there is value. I mean, what you essentially would be saying is like there's value in the team blending and putting our secret sauce on it. But is that secret sauce worth 5x? So like when there is a company and and a team such as yourself that comes in and goes, no, I mean, we have to make money. It's a business, but we're not in it to get you. We want to build loyal fans and have a following. I I just got to say, like, that's commendable. I feel like our product's really reasonably priced. I don't feel like there's anybody out there selling a nine-year-old bourbon for one-fifth of our price. But yeah, I do understand exactly what you mean, what what you mean, John. You know, we, we ultimately depend on every single bottle sale. So, you know, every purchase out there counts and means something to us because we are a small company. And so... We couldn't do it without the consumer support. So again, we're just always about value, quality relative to price. Well, it's something I forgot to to mention earlier, and I'll be the first to admit I I owe an apology to a degree as a, I would say, blind prejudice. When people, including myself, see, you know, sourced from Tennessee, there's a connotation that comes to mind. I've said it countless times, and uh, I'll also say my my head and mind were, were 
greatly changed and turned after spending the day down at the distillery, trying some different products and, and things and, that you guys have put together. I got to eat a little crow on that, but uh, I'll be the first to tell you like, all right, I, I'm no longer just going to blanket statement, write things off without first trying it and uh, seeing uh, you know what the proof is in the pudding. It just took a trip to Memphis to do that. Like us doing the show for four years hasn't taught you to try everything first. I mean, there's some things I'm a little more stubborn on than others. You know, I, I, I kind of soapbox that a lot. I, I'm trying to 2021 New Year, New Zeke, same John. No shit. You're stubborn. <laughs> I do really like the nine year. I think the sleeper out of this bunch is the three year. I think as a daily drinker, if you're looking for something that's reasonably priced at 30 bucks, yes, I know I'm picking the Kentucky one over the Tennessee one. I I think the nine year is really, <laughs> thanks PJ. I think the nine year is really good, but that three year is a super solid drinker. It is. We're really proud of the juke joint. That's one where we've had control over the product from production with our um, partner distillery in Kentucky. It's just remarkable, the flavor um, development and the characteristics in that product. I mean, so it's a minimum of three. So there are a few older barrels in there of the same Nashville uh, four-year-old. Nothing's older than four. The goal is to get that to a four-year-old non-age stated product one day, keep the price the same, but as our inventory ages up. But yeah, it's, it's a remarkably great product. And, and in part, that has a lot to do well, not only with the quality of our uh, distillery partners process, um, but our grain selection and then our cooperage selection. We spared no expense on the cooperage there. And we do um, interchange in toasted oak barrels with that batch. And that's kind of a theme that we're going to play with uh, in some later expressions, uh, getting into the toasted oak. But, but yeah, for the price, you can't beat the juke joint. It's better than most everyday drinkers. And there's just really few new products coming out in that price range especially uh, ones that are worth drinking. In the, the, the learning curve and getting the toes wet and doing the, the blending and whatnot, have you run into a point yet where you just like threw your hands up in the air and were like, like, all right, this you know batch or whatever you want to call it, like this isn't salvageable. We're, we're just going to give this to the employees. And like, you know, you just had that moment where you're like, all right, I, this one didn't quite work out too well. You don't see those bottles behind PJ? What do you think they are? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it happened. It happened, unfortunately, and it happened with our River Set Rye. We initially launched in a bottle that looked like, it was a taller, skinnier bottle that looked like our nine-year, and it just was a more antiquated label. I designed the original labels myself. The, the blend was awesome in the tanks. Something happened kind of as the, the blend set there uh, in the bottle, and it just kind of turned. Uh, and it was our first three batches of River Set. There, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's a great, you know, I thought it was a great whiskey, but it, it just started to develop as it sat in the bottle, a really grassy, earthy note that really, you know, only folks like us could have sit there and appreciate, but you're like average everyday drinker. It's like, this is just way too grassy, too earthy. You know, I took that to heart. That was a huge hit. And I didn't, it, nobody had to say, hey, you need to change this. That was just the feedback I got from the market and I listened. So I immediately went back and then we redid the blend. For the new release, I changed the package so that anybody could immediately <laughs> recognize that it's totally different. No, that's solid and uh, definitely a good play. And I'll, I'll at least say what's sitting on the shelf now and, and what I had a little earlier, it's definitely not uh, grassy or earthy by any means. I get a lot of rich sugars and it's, it's bright, I guess I would say, as opposed to the, those other notes. And to me, that's the fun part about some rise is with the youth, if you, if you get the right ones and put them together the right way, instead of being you know bourbon and corn forward and just that kind of off-putting taste, the sugars and the rise, when those are thrown together the right way i mean it's just sweet candy i mean like it's just good i mean it reminds me of like a like orange pills you know or whatever they do with the orange and they cover them with the sugar and kind of uh you know put a little heat to it and caramelize it and whatever like it's just that kind of like a legit fruit but then also like you can tell there's synthetics to it or something like it's just whoa that's sweet our river set i'll tell you if you've never tried our river set ride really encourage you to go out and grab a bottle very low low risk or low stakes $29.99. I'd put it up against pretty much any rye whiskey out there. I mean, obviously don't go grab a $300 bottle of rye and say, ha, I got you. But um, <laughs> I'd put it up against pretty much anything on the shelf, anywhere close to the price point. And the flavor that, that's in there is just remarkable. The depth, the nuances to it. It's a lot of fun to drink. It's different than any other rye you've had. There's this like unmistakable uh, citrus note. 
as well as apple note that I just don't get in other rye whiskeys. And I just would encourage people to go out and try it. Folks that even aren't into rye tend to really like it. And then the, the kind of the rye snobs or rye collectors really like it just because of how differentiated the taste profile is. And the single barrels are incredible. If you can find the black label, cash strength coming in around 118 to 121. Truly remarkable, the variance uh, in flavor barrel to barrel. The bell curve, if you will, of flavor between like the both extremities is just you wouldn't even believe that it was the same distillate. Um, it's just truly remarkable how different some of them taste in a good way. Shameless uh, quick plug for our, our boy Tark at Elixir. The the pick that you know PJ and I went down for it, it is going to include a rye. Is that going to be ninety three or is it barrel proof? Because honestly, that's barrel proof. All single okay. barrels we do at barrel proof. Nice. I'm kind of curious. You know, you've talked about the Cooperages before. I'm sure you went through and tried a <laughs> lot of them. Where did you end up falling on the Cooperages you're using? That's a really uh, an, a great point. While we're still craft, and we like to say craft, referencing like quality and that testament of never cutting corners and craftsmanship really is what we like to refer to that word, meaning you know we're not small in terms of what we're doing. So we're laying down you know thousands of barrels every year of new fill. And in talking to some of our kind of mentors in the industry and partners, they say that you need to work with not just one cooperage because... Uh, there's been there's been uh, oak shortages or you know cooperage issues, cooperage shortages before, and you want to have an open contract and business relationship with all of the major players. So we we uh, we work with Independent Stave, Kelvin, and Speyside. Each each different group offers its own you know kind of benefits or nuances, if you will. Uh, they're all doing great things. You know, Independent Stave is by far the largest in Kelvin and Speyside, in, in the American oak, that is. Uh, and then Kelvin and Speyside are both doing really awesome stuff there. The cool thing is, is when you have the same inventory aged in the different cooperage, it's then going through and curating the different barrels uh, for each batch. And you'll notice different flavor profiles based on 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 the cooper. That's what makes it so much more interesting. But that's really more like a supply chain management thing than necessarily like in a dream world, we just work with one. We have not ever had any supply chain issues, but we're kind of taking our, our mentors and, and kind of more senior, more experienced people that we're friends with in the industry industry's word for it, that we want to have these open contracts with multiple. I totally don't think you should look at it as a supply chain thing. It's not just SCM because you're right. A hundred percent. It is different profiles from different cooperages. The wood is from different parts of the country. They do a different toasting method. They might do a different curing method. We talk to a lot of craft distilleries or a lot of distilleries and they're like, I can take a sip from this barrel. I can tell you what cooperage did it. And that is how honed in some of these distilleries are. And you can go through here and actually kind of think about the blending and say, okay, well, if I take a Kelvin and blend it with an independent stave, I might get a completely different profile. So not just from an SCM standpoint and from a necessity that hey, the whole bourbon and whiskey industry is using a shit ton of oak barrels. It's also like, how can we play with the blending here as well? Definitely. And look, we're also still new to this, right? We're, we're, still, we're still learning. That's a craft when it comes to studying maturation and, and how to blend that you know, can take lifetimes or you know, really generations of study to really figure out. That's why I've gotten really into the toasted barrels and toasted finishing and then just exotic barrel, exotic cast finishing. So I mean, we have like experiments in, uh, you know, all the, the common ones. We have bourbon, fin- bourbon and rye finishing in the following. Cognac, Madeira, Port, Sherry. I can't remember if I said Madeira. But um, we're also bringing in some barrels from Spain. We got some Vino de Naranja barrels, an orange wine from uh, southern Spain. I'm bringing in Tokai barrels from Hungary. And we're not stopping there. We have Malbec barrels coming up from one of the, the best vineyards in the world uh, in Mendoza. And we're really going to uh, do some really cool things with these exotic barrel finishing, as well as we have a whole new version or iteration or expression of, of Blue Note coming out, our uh, Blue Note Crossroads, which is where we experiment with toasted French oak. Just kind of through all of this, it's really opened my eyes to the limitless possibilities with cooperage and finishing. And it's 
it's pretty badass, honestly. Are these the samples I have here? Because I see delicate, <clears throat> intense, and complex, and I always just thought that was Zeke's menu at the massage parlor. <laughs> Love it. On that uh, note, I was just going to simply toss out that I think you're just going back to the simple, uh, you know, words of wisdom my grandmother had of, uh, you know, keeping a ship in every port. Let's get to this because they're all 119.7 proof. There is a delicate and intense and a complex. Do we have, is there a date at all? Four weeks. Okay. Four weeks. That's what I thought. So I am sipping on some that's now at six weeks too. And so with toasted French oak finishing, the flavor transformation and that finishing process is uh, it's pretty quick. It's 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 mind blowing the flavor that happens in such a short period of time. The three different versions you have, all, all the wood has come from our partner Cooperage uh, Radu, which is the subsidiary of Speyside, based in France. Uh, this is the highest grade French oak. So French oak, the French oak forestries are managed by the government there. Radu has a contract to harvest some of the the highest grade French oak, which of course most of which goes into French wines. Uh, but they have really um, pushed the limits on on toasts and studying the nuances of the different flavors that come from different toast levels. And so that's all translated into English: intense, complex, and delicate. Cannot remember what the original French words were, but it refers to the the level of toast. So it's like a scale or a grade. So delicate is the lightest toast. Complex is the middle toast. And intense is the most extreme toast. And it goes from around 15 minutes in toasting in, in their effectively their kilns up to like 23 to 24 minutes on the on the intense. And what it does is it brings out different flavors and nuances in the oak. And, you know, we're dealing with our, our guys over in France when we import these. Uh, we, we, it's, it's actually a stave finishing process, so not complete barrels. There are a little language barriers, uh, but they're, they're, super, they're super cool guys. Just crazy knowledgeable on oak extraction. You know, really the leading experts in the world on oak maturation are French scientists to the French wine industry. And so what you have in there is our um, a high rye bourbon the same base finished with the three different levels of toast for four weeks. And I got to say it's six weeks, which I'm leaning towards is what we're going to do. I got to send you all this because it's just changed so dramatically, but just in four weeks, um, the flavor differences between those three is, is truly remarkable. And it's kind of It's a testament to what I've been saying that this is the future of bourbon maturation. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't had to, uh, just hide those things from yourself by now. Uh, I just see like somebody coming in like, Hey, where's these finishes you were, I heard about it. You told me about, I, I want to try it. Oh man. They were so good. I drank them all. Shit. Sorry. Well, so y'all are some of the first people that we've tasted on it because um, you happen to be tasting right next to our little experiment. Now it wasn't the prettiest, most scientific looking thing, but we are still in the ideation or design phase of the product itself. This is going to be our Blue Note Crossroads, which kind of pays homage to uh, the birth of the blues at the Crossroads, uh, you know, Crossroads being an intersection, of course. And so our, our brand is themed around the intersection of American white oak and toasted French oak. Uh, and it's actually going to be a blend that involves all three levels of this, this toasted oak. We're still playing with it and working with it, but y'all have it, y'all have it at four weeks. So yeah, taste through those and, and notice the differences between the three. Delicate will have less toast influence less tannin more vanilla more vanillin and then i mean the intense i'm I'm drinking right now the intense at six weeks and it's just it's incredible it's it's also amazing what a little bit of water does to this because there's so much wood tannin in it it opens up dramatically i don't think we're going to do this at cask strength because i don't think that's where it shows best we're going to do this in the mid 90s and then we will offer like a foolproof version That'll probably be around 110, maybe a little higher. So we will do like a higher octane version. But with this uh, secondary finishing, it, it really does benefit from a little bit of water at the end to help open it back up because it, it's an oak bomb. But The flavor profile has changed even from the four-week samples. I mean, the two different versions of four-week samples that we had, I know PJ brought them by last week and then took them home. And then now we have different four-week samples. <laughs> And the delicate, I would have been right for the delicate at four weeks last week, and I'm not there this week. 
and I'm still trying to figure out where I'm at. And, you know, a little bit of backstory there, too. We mentioned, uh, you know, being down there for the pick a few weeks ago. And toward the end of it, I say, you know, Macaulay came out and kind of circled around and, you know, spent a little time with us and whatnot uh, after he got the, the business side of the day done. At some point, just like halfway over here, oh, did I tell you about this thing we've been doing, this project involving a French oak? I was like, whoa, 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 hold on. Stop like everything. What, what, what are y'all talking about over there? Like, I'm going to stick my head in this conversation and just be rude because I want to know what's going on over here. Uh, I perked up real big and these all were, were very fun pours to have at the end of the pick. And I think you're onto something very good here and even more intrigued to see where a, a, a blend or mingling or whatever between the three comes out as well. Yeah, those are just samples. I'm not sure if they're really supposed to leave the distillery, but um, yeah, no, we it's, love it's, being a part of the process with you. That that's the intense was the one that I was staying away from last week. And I'm not just saying this because you have that six week intense right there, but as I'm drinking these again, it's got a little spice to it. Like it's it's got the char, but it's got a little bit of like heat and spice that if you put just a little bit of water with it, it takes it all away. I've been doing that here as we've been talking. It, it's crazy how good it is. It is. Again, as a reminder for any listener, this is we're just tasting some intermediate experiments kind of from the lab. And that's kind of the fun, the fun part about what we do. I think we're going to really turn some heads and blow some people away when we when we release this product, our Crossroads, uh, because this is going to be a uh, a mid to high thirty dollar bottle release that I think is going to drink like a eighty dollar bottle. And I think it's going to blow some people away. So once we nailed this down, it's like the exact ratios of these three uh, in harmony together. I haven't, unfortunately, I was drinking one 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 night and. <laughs> Sometimes that's when you accidentally make some good stuff. I was like watching uh, football a few weeks ago and I was like, I had it. It's like, damn it, that was it. But maybe it was because I'd had a couple of drinks. But um, the exact harmony and ratio of this when it comes together is going to be incredible. And I'm already convinced. I know I'm like, I'm always, if you talk to me about our team, I'm always like on to the next thing. But I thought it was like perfect at four weeks and was, and now it's six weeks. I'm like, it's, it's got to be six weeks. Six weeks is just a whole nother ballgame, the level of extraction we're getting. This is going to be really fun. Think of it as like in the realm of Makers 46 of how they do the stave finishing. It's different, but just I don't know of a whole lot of other products even where anywhere in the same ballpark or realm as what we're trying to do with this. But it's going to be super cool. We're going to release the science behind it. So we're, our, our, our partners at Radu are going to be doing some chemical analysis on this, both here stateside, um, like at the University of Michigan, and then as well as what, that's one of their partner uh, universities here in the States, and then also in, uh, in France. And we'll have the whole spectrometer analysis of the, the web graphs of the flavor. And I, I think it's going to be really, really cool to, to get into this. And for all of you listening, Zeke and I helped. That's right. <laughs> well, no, I, I think it's great to be transparent enough to explain where they came from, how it was done, you know, the the methodology behind it. But then at the same time, it's still a blend. Uh, that's still proprietary. You know, no no one else tasted what you tasted or put it together the way you did. So there, there's still that. This is our own product. I mean, we'll tell you. You know, it's, it's like buying a food product or whatever. You can read the back label and see what ingredients are in there, but you're not going to replicate it just based on that. So I, I think that alone still gives it its own novelty and it, uh, you know entity as a you know truly unique product. Well, I'll tell you this. So my idea is I'm going to create with our team three different versions of it because our ultimate goal will be to create a replicable blend. And then we can do all kinds of wacky one-offs from that. But we do want like an everyday on-the-shelf blend. So I'm going to create three options and I will invite you all onto the tasting panel with us. Yeah, it doesn't have to be, you know, on a show or anything, but I want y'all's input. And I'm going to send out three samples, just one, two, three. And we're going to get votes from our trusted friends and see kind of what they like about each of them. And and the winner is going to be what we go with. And I'd love to include y'all in that. I think it'd be fun. We are 100% game for that. I'll just say I love what y'all are doing. I really enjoy just good stuff at a good price and people that are fans of whiskey and you know pushing whiskey forward but also respecting where whiskey has been you know i've had this conversation i am completely okay with ndps as long as they are honest about what they're doing right like i i hate when it's 
hey, it's the produced by and people were being deceptive saying like, we're not doing this. And yes, your contract is going with other people. You're planning on doing your own thing in the future. But I think what you're doing in that story, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate that, your story is freaking cool on its own, right? Like you don't have to be this guy that distills his own stuff to be cool. What you're doing is cool. And thank you for the transparency. Thank you for pushing the envelope. Thank you for trying new things. And thank you for putting it at great prices. I'm super appreciative. Well, that means a lot. I appreciate that. But um, above being cool and respected in the industry, just for a real moment here, we do have big ambitions and some things that we are trying to achieve achieve in the long term. So first and foremost, you know, Memphis is a part of Tennessee. We have some of the best water in the entire world due to an artesian aquifer well system that's several miles below Shelby County. And we think that that is... Provide, that, that water source provides untapped potential for not only brewing, we have a great new robust craft brewing industry here in Memphis, but also distilling. So we do want to build an actual distillery here in Memphis. We have an actual distillation equipment on site. We could distill up to a thousand barrels a year if we wanted to. But our long-term goal is really putting Memphis on the map as a, uh, a city or um, a town known for, you know, real deal, world-class whiskey production. And so my vision, our team vision is to build something bigger than where we are today, something that can last generations. And I want to build an industrial size craft distillery that can produce as much as the biggest distilleries in Kentucky and Tennessee uh, that can last hundreds of years and hopefully create manufacturing jobs right here in Memphis. So our distillery is in an old rundown industrial park that used to be kind of the center of, you know, industrial manufacturing output, not only in the, in the city, but also the state. You know, there's a huge tire plant. There's an international harvester plant. And there are all these great factories that, you know, went under in the 60s and 70s. And with that, we lost a lot of jobs. And that's just kind of not like right where our places, it's the greater neighborhood. There's not a tire plant where they like <laughs> run on top of the tire plant. But, um, but if we can create manufacturing jobs uh, you know, at the scale that I want to, I think that'd be a great thing for the city, as well as just helping put Memphis on the map uh, for a whiskey town. And so we do want to do it, but we want to do it right. And so if that means catching a little flack from folks saying, hey, you're not distilling now, you're blending, that's okay, because we kind of have a bigger mission that we're going towards here. I want Blue Note to be a national brand that's as, as big as any of them, but but better in terms of quality. Well, don't distill when it's going to be 925 a bottle. Wait till you can distill when it's going to be 25 cents a bottle. <laughs> Amen. I, I'm just saying, I mean, like when you just said, hey, we have a still that could do a thousand barrels a year, it's like, in my mind, it's like anybody who's listened to this podcast is going to be, why the hell is he going to do the same shit that made Pyramid go under? Keep doing what you're doing until you can get that industrial size still, until you can get a column still that is going to pump out enough inventory that you need. Don't rush it. What you're doing right now is great. Yep. It's the long-term play, right? So oftentimes it's like, there's some big numbers involved in the whiskey business, but it's certainly not a get rich quick scheme, right? Of trying to age whiskey and, and do it. It's, it's a whole lot of fun. It's to have a lot of fun and learn a lot quickly scheme, but certainly not a get rich quick scheme. And that's exactly right. Yeah, we can't rush it. We want to do it right. But I mean, the facility that we envision building will be well north of 30 to $40 million just for the still house and the uh, surrounding production facility, not even necessarily including all of the ricks. So um, it's just an enormous undertaking, but that's what makes it fun, right? Shoot for the moon, uh, shoot for you know the biggest possible goal and see where we can see where we land. But, you know, always be true to kind of the core mission of never cutting corners and focusing on that craftsmanship that, you know, hopefully got us there. Well, we are so happy you were here and we are so happy to just kind of watch you along the way and happy to call you both friends. We'd love to follow along. Zeke and I can't wait to get down to Memphis, Macaulay, and hang out with you in person. PJ lives too close to us right now. Thank you guys so much for, for being on. We really appreciate it. Where can the folks find you? Thanks. Um, yeah, so check us out online. 
at uh, www.bluenotebourbon.com, riversetrye.com. Also on um, Instagram and Facebook, uh, at Blue Note Bourbon and at Riverset Rye. Each one of our brands have their own pages. Uh, and just a quick shout out to our team, because while I'm the president and CEO and kind of one of the figureheads, certainly couldn't do it without uh, everyone on the production and operations team, accounting team, and all of that. And certainly uh, we can't build a brand without our rock star sales force, uh, which starts with uh, Mr. PJ Harrison right there in Nashville in Middle Tennessee. So thanks to everybody. And thank you all for having us on uh, this evening. It's been a lot of fun. Real, real quick, I'll put you on the spot. Your vote for best barbecue in Memphis. Uh, cozy Corner, right by the distillery. <laughs> Convenient as well, I assume. They're also the ones that he hooks up with whiskey and then they give him free barbecue. Hey, we're coming out with some of our own kind of barbecue-related apparel. We're starting to grind up our barrels and, and make wood chips and just kind of experiment with that and smoke meats with it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Maybe one day we can actually uh, sell that product. It'd be pretty cool. Now you're figuring out how to get John to Memphis. You, you tell him there's going to be food involved. And he's like, oh, suddenly my calendar's clear <laughs> heck yeah it is <laughs> cheers y'all yeah thanks again and um obviously we appreciate the opportunity as well to uh to make the selection on the 17 year and super stoked for that uh, as well as the picks we did with uh you know Tark and elixir coming out i would assume in the next uh month or three or four maybe they're on order it should be on order it should be there in any week now Yep. Well, find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinker Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinker Bourbon. Find us wherever you download your podcast. Chances are you already have because you're listening to us right now. Leave us an open and honest review just like we leave open and honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? Good old Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, it, it sounds like a, a road trip to Memphis sooner or later. Most likely sooner, though. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers. y'all.